0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 67. Oh my goodness, this is an emergency (laughs) edition of Back to Excited. We are doing this, what, 40 minutes after a trade has been announced? Um, There's a lot to cover. We're going to talk about the Nazem Kadri trade. We're going to talk about the Nikita Zaitsev trade. We're going to talk about the signings for the Leafs and maybe even around the league.
1: Um, Oh, wow. Okay, Fuleman, help me out here. How are you? Uh, I am doing, uh, I think, well. I'm still a bit, um, a bit dazed, yeah. frankly, from well, is... what's been a really active couple days for Kyle Dubas. Very much so. Very much. I mean, one of the criticisms you could have leveled at
0: Kyle Dubas before this uh, this weekend, really, was that he's a bit of a conservative <laughs> GM. He he saved his bullets, and well, he's not saving them anymore.
1: <laughs> no, this has been machine gun firing. For the uh, the whole day. Like, th- this team now looks a lot like the team that Kaldubis built. Yeah. Um, it feels less like the team that he inherited. Um, Wow. So I guess we'll just start off the top with this huge trade that happened shortly before we went to air and finally got us off the fence. We were like, should we do a pod now? Should we wait? Maybe we'll see. And then this one came in and we were like, well, that's the sign. The universe has spoken. We have to do it. So the trade was... Uh, the Leafs gave up Nazem Kadri, Calle Rosen, and a 2023rd round pick in exchange for Tyson Berry, who was a defenseman from the Colorado Avalanche, uh, Alex Kerfoot, and a 2026th round pick. Tyson Berry is coming in at 50% salary retention, so he has one year left on his contract that has a cap hit of $2.75 million. That is a very significant trade. Um, that really remodels the whole look. Of uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I guess we can start by saying, okay, so Nazem Kadri was our overqualified third line center. We talked a lot on this podcast about the value proposition of the Toronto Maple Leafs being that we had the three-headed monster down the middle, which was Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Nazem Kadri, and those guys were backed up by some very high-end wingers in William Nylander, Mitch Marner, and then some other great supporting players. Uh, that's a little bit over, Although Alex Kerfoot might help us build a different kind of monster down the middle. Uh, I think we'll talk about him in a bit. But the biggest thing is that we've got Tyson Berry, who is the closest thing to a genuine top pair right defenseman that the Leafs have had in, oh gosh, um, hmm, 15 years. It's remarkable how long it's been since they had someone who actually shot right. And could play at that caliber of a level. Now he's not flawless. Uh, Tyson Berry is a really interesting player to look at because in some ways he reminds me a little bit of Morgan Riley. Uh, his shots against profile is not terrific. Um, he seems like he, he helps generate a lot. He's a great puck moving defenseman uh, and he gives back some at the defensive end. He's been linked to the Leafs before in conversations. I can remember as early as 2016, I believe, um, catch it with speculating or writing about speculation about the Leafs acquiring Tyson Berry um, so at long last it's been consummated and here we are so what are your first thoughts on seeing this deal come in very conflicted
0: I guess um, my Twitter timeline seems to love it right I think mm-hmm. the reaction to this has been very positive from the Leafs perspective and I think I think it's a good trade. I think it makes sense. I don't think this was a fleecing, and I don't think... Um, I don't think that the reason for excitement here is necessarily Tyson Berry. And I think that mm. will be the case for a lot of fans. Um, but is a guy I've always been a little conflicted on. And really, the... Confliction I have about Barry is broadly describes my confliction about this deal because a lot of this depends on Tyson Barry. Um, Barry is one of those guys who, when you watch him, he, he passes the eye test with flying colors. much like Morgan Riley. He's very active around the puck. He shoots from everywhere. His shot plot as a defenseman is kind of amazing because, you know, he is a right defenseman, but he has a ton of shots just everywhere in the zone. Right? he just He's very active, he has a lot of skills, and he's very dynamic, and he's a fun guy to watch, right? So there's a natural mm-hmm. attraction to that. Um, when you look at his microstat profile, his shot attempts, his shot assists, his uh, puck carrying, they all grade out pretty strongly in the samples that we have. So you look at that, and mm-hmm. those are the kind of the most obvious things you see when you see a player. You see puck events, right? And you look at that and you're like, wow, this guy is, you know, he's dynamic. He can do whatever he wants with the puck. He's always involved. His team is scoring. What's not to like? And the thing that kind of has always given me pause is that his on-ice results have never really matched up to the eye test. So over Mm -hmm. the past three seasons in Evolving Wild's uh, RAPM statistic... Tyson Berry is basically been average or slightly above average in two of them it, in terms of driving uh, shot attempts and driving expected goals, adjusting for context and adjusting for the players around him and his usage and all that sort of thing. Those two years were 2018-19
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and 2014-15. Sorry, so I, I said three years. I meant over the last five years. So it was it was those two seasons. In between, he's had negative impacts per this measure on shot attempts and expected goals, including a, a pretty ghastly 2017-2018 by these measures where he was like one of the worst defenders in the league. And it's hard to reconcile that, right? Um, he's a mm-hmm. hard person to get a read on. So for for this reason, he's never been particularly well looked upon by RAPM or uh, Micah McCurdy's isolated threat.
1: And... Yeah, the stats community has never been as keen on him as I think most yes. people were. Yes, he's always been mm-hmm. a bit of a lightning rod in that respect.
0: And um, that he grades out as, you know, an average play driver. He's an average play driver in kind of a very fun package. Um, mm-hmm. Now, to give uh, Barry some credit, Michael McCurdy himself actually was just tweeting kind of in the fallout of this deal that, you know, Barry's a hard person to get a read on because his results are really, really volatile from year to year, even when his situation has not really changed. 2017-18 was mm-hmm. an awful year for him in terms of on-ice results, particularly defensively. But then with similar competition and teammates and usage last season, he was average or a little bit above. How do you explain that? Like, mm-hmm. does is it just randomness? Did something change? Did he get better? I don't know. So, you know, I'm... It's not satisfying to say, but I, I have to admit, I don't know exactly what to think of Barry.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a little... Yeah, I'm a little mixed on it. I do think that... Um, just given the volatility in the numbers, and given that I have maybe a little bit still of ingrained skepticism about our ability to evaluate certain defensemen, um, I, I definitely think that by any description... We're a meaningfully better team at top right defenseman than we were uh, last season. Like he's blowing Ron Hainsey yes, in the water.
0: I would agree with that. But
1: yeah, I know low bar to jump over. But um, you know, I'm a little bit uh, a little bit wary of it, and I do think you know. And Scott Wheeler, with his capacity to make tweets that sometimes have a good point, but also get him like flamed on Twitter, is at it again. Because he, he tweeted like right after this deal um, how many games before Mike Babcock decides that he doesn't like Riley Berry as a pairing. And I can't help but think, gee, those guys could be a little prone to getting chances against once in a while. Um, and, and you wonder if that's going to be tolerable or or what have you. Um, and you wonder if Muzzinberry is... Uh, That actually sounds like some sort of weird tropical drink. Anyway, Muzzin Barry uh, might be a more viable pairing in his eyes. We don't know yet. Yeah, Um,
0: it's it's tricky um, because so the obvious comparison, you know, when we say when we mention a player, I give that you know three minute speech, probably more about Barry as a player and how he he passes the eye test and then doesn't look great by the stats. People might jump to oh, that's kind of similar to Riley, and in a way, yes, but. Riley, by all the all-in-one metrics like R.I.P.M. and isolated Threat, and even if you just look at simpler stuff like Corsi for round, Corsi against round, he grades out as spectacular offensively and bad defensively, but good enough offensively that it nets out. Right? He's a, a very positive overall player in a very fun package. With Barry, it's yeah, kind of the opposite, right? Or not not the opposite, but I like a, it, it's like he. he these stats, RIPM and isolated threat, they don't see him as even a particularly positive offensive player, right? And that's, that's what is very confusing. That's what kind of leads to this um, conflict that I have, where it's like you watch him and you see one thing and you look at the stats and you see something else. And I tend to believe the stats here, especially when it comes to a guy like Barry. Like I, I'm a pretty hardcore NHL fan. I watch a lot of most teams by an average person standard, but I probably see, you know, maybe 10 Colorado Avalanche games a year. It's not that many. Mm. Right. So, like, I'm not going to say, oh, I watched Barry and I know everything about him and I'm very confident that he is an elite offensive player, despite what these stats say. I I tend to believe these stats or I tend to believe that Barry's offensive abilities are not necessarily the ones that correspond to his team doing well offensively when he's on the ice, you know, adjusting for for everything else. It's worth noting that. And this Mm -hmm. is something that is sort of true of Riley, too, but to a lesser extent. When a defenseman is super active, that's a good thing and a bad thing because, yeah, it's cool, they're, they're generating shots, they're generating chances, but those are probably worse chances than if they pass it to a forward to generate those chances instead. Yeah. Maybe that's the case with Barry. If you look at his isolated threat map, there's a big spike at the right D spot. Um, those are not great shots to take. Maybe that's a part of it. Yeah, you
1: do not want that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, the defensive side is that, you know, Barry has, at times, had future results defensively. Um, last year was not one of those times. He had good results defensively, or at least, like, acceptable results defensively. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to know exactly what we're gonna get out of him in this case. And despite that, I I do feel this is, you know, if we, if we see Barry as kind of the main attraction, I do understand why we're, we're doing this, because we're at, we have such a low bar, as you mentioned earlier such a low bar at right defenseman that even if we only think tyson berry is a league average defenseman or maybe even a little bit below league average right and that's being quite pessimistic i think he's still a ma- he's yeah, still a massive I... step up on ron hainsey he's still a massive step up on Nikita zaitsev right and that's a that's a high yeah. average position where they're playing 20 minutes a night so that's still a big upgrade
1: yeah you know it's um I don't know. It's tough to get a handle on this because it's tough to get a handle on these defensemen, as you say, who seem to be talented, who have volatile numbers, who have kind of obvious flaws, and who are also going to a team that has a pretty pronounced profile in terms of being insanely high event. Like, I kind of wonder, you know, we have this slightly blurry idea of what Tyson Berry is and how he works, and then we're throwing him into a system where it's going to be like, well, I hope you like pushing the pace. And now Alex Kerfoot is like, maybe taking a mild stand for being a decent defensive third line center. Yeah, and, but sorry,
0: try uh, to interrupt here. I just wanted to point out that the other thing worth noting is that you know all these. I, I talked about these context adjusted stats at all. I don't want to make it seem like these are completely independent of a team. They're they're definitely not. There's definitely mm-hmm. team effects there. They're not perfect. They're just the best we can do so far, right? So. Barry could Mm -hmm. come in and be entirely different. This is why scouting is still very, very important, obviously.
1: Yeah. Uh, And, you know, you have to keep your eyes open in in all these things, obviously. But, um, I I mean, it seemed like we had to do something. The defense was looking dire is a generous word for it. I'm still not sure that it's, frankly, terrific. I'm still not sure it's better than last year's in the playoffs. That's the thing that I'm wondering and well, okay uh, sorry last last year in the playoffs with yes, the healthy yes, Jake the Gardner I was a bit better yeah so uh, the playoff roster that we actually shot that we actually saw was Jake Gardner who was a shell of his former self and uh, as a side note I think that that was kind of seen around the league I've always wondered about how valued Jake Gardner might be but he was not signed today and apparently discussions are coming along slowly and apparently his back injury, was an issue there in terms of like teams taking an interest as you might expect it would be. So I think it might be better than we saw at the end of last year, but it's going to look very different. Um, We're going to get to who might be a a major addition to that defense shortly, but Tyson Berry is obviously the big deal. Um, I just don't know what to expect from Riley Berry. Like off the top of my head, I expect that is going to be a Supreme glass cannon pairing. I think if it's allowed to flourish and those two are kept together, uh, it's going to move the puck up. It'll probably outscore its competition and outchance them. I think that there are going to be some blunders that if Mike Babcock can stand them and keep the pairing together, he's still going to be tearing his hair a couple nights of the year. Especially if they're in front of, or sorry, behind the Matthews line. Oh God, yeah. Which is, you know, something that kind of hangs over all this, which is that we've built our team well, built is a strong word, but our team is focused on a really, really talented young center who is not good defensively, and that's fine. Um, and so far as it goes, it doesn't mean that he's not a fantastic player, but as we've said, it does mean a difference in terms of the profile. Like, I, I think you and I have both been saying this. I remember you had a quote, last summer he worked on his shot all, and like remodeled it or something like that. And you were saying, like, that's terrific, but your shot is already, like, 99th percentile. Please work on defense. <laughs> and I do wish he would do a little bit of that. Some of that comes with age and experience, you'd think.
0: But um, also probably much harder to work on defense than it is to... You can fire a million pucks if you want. Yeah. You could pra- practice that. Like, a... So it's a bit of a unfair thing to say, but...
1: Yeah, that's true. You need NHL-level competition to practice against. Exactly. If you're going to practice defense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's... Uh, it's complicated in in terms of like, I do think that this is positive. First of all, we were looking at Cody CC top pair, right? Defenseman, or when he recovers, Travis Dermott playing offside, Tyson Berry is an upgrade there. Tyson Berry makes me think again, this team has a lot going for it. And the downgrade from Kadri to Alex Kerfoot, the more I look at it, the more it's something that I think is that I'm very okay with. And that pains me for the longest time. I was thinking you don't trade Nazem Kadri. Um, I guess this is where we have to shut out. Katya has been saying for the longest time you have to think about trading Nazem Kadri, and I mm-hmm. was like no. But yeah. now that it's happened, you were right, Katcha. So um, Alex Kerfoot is uh, the other component of this trade. He's Sorry, before R- before we yeah.
0: move on, I just want to say one other thing about um, Barry and yeah, what's just the Leafs' defense. So I think. Just to kind of echo on what you said, this this is an obvious upgrade. It would be hard for it to be a downgrade on Cody Ceci. Um, I think even if you're very optimistic about CC, and we'll talk <laughs> about him in great depth later in the trade that got him here. Even if you're Good optimistic God. about him, I think the best thing you can say is that, you know, maybe he'll be better on a better team. There's no way to really spin his results when played in a significant role in Ottawa in any meaningful way to being positive. They were, they were gassy. They were really, really bad.
1: (laughs) So this, we're going to have some fun with that. Yes.
0: So this certainly improves us. And I don't think it makes our defense above average, but it may make our defense, not our defense group, I should say, as as opposed to our defense, which I'm pretty sure is still going to be bad, but our defense group is now potentially no longer a massive flaw that invalidates us as a contender. Mm Mm-hmm. That's kind of my initial thoughts on it. it. It we'll have to wait to see how it goes on paper. Barry is so different year to year that it's hard to know if he if he turns in league average results defensively. You know, I'll be I'll be thrilled. We're we're a great team if that happens. But there's a lot of range around that. Anyway, sorry we were talking about Alex Carfoot.
1: Yeah, sorry I was just segueing into that because the presumption is probably that Alex Kerfoot will be our third-line center, although that's not guaranteed. He played center sometimes with the Avs, sometimes he did not, sometimes he played wing. Um, we also made a couple of very cheap free agent signings that I guess kind of bear on this, in Jason Spezza and Nick Shore, both of whom are signed for a year and for uh, about 700K uh, a piece. But the expectation is probably that it's gonna be Kerfoot who's gonna slot in there. So Alex Kerfoot's defensive results are very impressive on the spreadsheets. And they're so impressive that you might be a little tempted to say, gee, really? Which is my reaction to it. Like a guy who does not have maybe the reputation as like a really high end defensive center. Um, And, and, you know, as I've been saying, I I reserve a bit of caution about our ability to evaluate these things. Um, But his numbers were very pretty (laughs) to look at. So, If he does slot in there and it is a success, we're remodeling from a a player who is really uh, a fringe 1C and who is quite high-end offensively, you know, who had uh, multiple 30-goal seasons, to one who is more defensive, who is probably a little more oriented to the 2 way game. I don't think Naz was bad defensively so much as he was merely survivable defensively and then he was good offensively. So we may be moving a little bit more to that kind of classic top six, bottom six mold in the forwards, I don't know. Um, It's still a little hard to see how it's going to shake out in terms of who goes where. But this does seem like we're trying to capture some additional value by trading out from the fact that we had an overqualified third line center. Um, And so that's what we've done. And that's what a lot of people sort of thought that we would do. So I, I think that the reason that I'm maybe the most, I'm that I'm generally pretty optimistic about this deal is that I don't think the, d- the downgrade from Kadri to Kerfoot, although it pains me a bit, and I like Nazem Kadri as a player. I like him as a person. But that downgrade isn't like an unbearable drop for the gain that we get on defense. You know, if this were just um, Nazem Kadri straight up for Tyson Berry, I wouldn't like that at all. And, you know, based on contract status, I think that that would be a robbery. But uh, I I think that Kerfoot is a really interesting piece. And I'm not saying that he's, you know, a gem or anything here. I'm not predicting the Selkie. But I think that he's enough that he gives us uh, something to work around with our forward group. And then we can make that upgrade on defense. So, yeah, I, I think that I'm positive on him. I haven't, as I said, you know, seen that much of his actual game. So I have to get more acquainted with Mr. Kerfoot than just the numbers on the page. But the numbers on the page are pretty good.
0: So. Yes, they are. A um, couple of things to note with Kerfoot. he's So he's 24 years old now. He's a restricted free agent. So the Leafs are going to have to sign him. Darren Dreger tweeted that uh, he's likely going to elect for arbitration and would be most likely seeing a reward above the $3 million range. Um, we don't know how true that is, but I mean... I trust that Dreger has been told that if he is reporting it. Mm-hmm. Um, with with Kerfoot's offensive game, he has two seasons of forty plus points, so it, it you know it's not unreasonable for him to get somewhat paid in arbitration. Uh, Evolving Wild has its has his contract projection most likely one at two point eight million for two years. Um, we don't know what it's going to be. Uh, I think probably the best thing to say is to go with what Dreger is saying for now. So Kerfoot is yeah an interesting guy. Had a really good year last year from, as you said, a play driving perspective. Um, Interestingly, his first year, his rookie year, he came in as an older rookie. Came from, I think he was he was an undrafted college guy. I'm pretty sure. uh, Played at Harvard, I think. In his first year, his play driving stats were nothing to write home about. They were around league average, maybe a little bit below. And then last year, they were quite strong so he doesn't have a huge sample of success i mean he's only been in the nhl for two years but you know over those two years you can convince yourself that there is a capable third line center there now when we discussed Mm -hmm. trading kadri before both of us thought we probably wouldn't do it this offseason because we felt it would be trading him at a low point in his value and maybe that was the the case but it, it doesn't appear to be here it appears that we got like a decent value for Kadri which is which is good and that eliminated one of the real roadblocks in both of our minds to trading him right um the other is that mm-hmm. I guess one thing I want to talk about with the stru- within the structure of this trade um I think like a week or so ago I wrote an article kind of detailing what the Leafs can do from here and from here being It was after the draft I think where they had traded Marlow away and, you know, what are their options from here on out? And the conclusion was that it's going to be near impossible to address the Leafs' defense unless they trade one of Kasperi Kapanen, Andreas Janssen, or Nazem Kadri. And all of those present problems. With Kadri specifically, it was that we don't really have anyone to replace him. So Kadri needed to, in, in a trade, fetch us a defenseman to upgrade our D, and also somehow we need to get a center back, through some process as well. And there's no real good UFA center, so how do you do that? Didn't seem that doable to me, especially because I was assuming Kadri was on a low point in value. Now, as it's turned out, that's pretty much exactly what the Leafs have pulled off here, which is good in a couple ways. One, it means I was right, which is the most important thing. <laughs> um, but secondly, it it means that they are not getting two birds with one stone, but they, they haven't robbed Peter to pay Paul here, or at least. They've only taken a little bit of money from Peter to pay Paul, and Paul was going to beat them up really badly if he didn't pay them soon. So, and Peter's a nice guy. So, but this metaphor is getting a little out of hand, but
1: <laughs> I'm following it though. I think I think you actually nailed it there. Uh, it's a reallocation from forward to defense, and it wasn't a real allocation where we really had to gut the forward core.
0: Yes, the the the, the risk in in Kerfoot is that. He doesn't have that big of a track record. His scoring, he had a ridiculous shooting percentage in his rookie year. It was like 20% or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And last year was like a more normal 12%, which is still high. Like it's still, That's like a good shooting forwards yeah. uh, shooting percentage. Um, so we don't know what his true shooting percentage is. We don't know what his true kind of play-driving ability is. He had a, an okay year and a good year, and... They were in the right order, and that we can kind of expect growth. He's twenty-four. He basically, you know, can expect him to get maybe a little bit better, but he should be more or less what he is, right? He, he there's no reason to expect him to get much worse. So, it, it, it's a reasonable bet to take. Uh, Nassim Kadri is, in my opinion, a better player than, than Kerfoot by a fairly, you know, notable amount. But mm-hmm. I'm happy with the upgrade from replacement level to around league average, maybe more, with with Barry. And that's being pessimistic about Barry, I I think.
1: Yeah. There Um, is, you know, I think we always err on the side of pessimism on this podcast a lot of the time, which is part of the fun irony of our name. But there is a scenario where Barry is a perfect fit here, and he really gives us a genuine top pair that works kind of all around. I don't want to lean on that too much. I'm just saying that with Barry's ability, if you want to dream on that, I think you can, and I don't think, you know, you're totally nuts. Um, I'm going to maybe project a little lower just for a variety of reasons that we've been talking about. But I I think you do have to say if, um, if you're in Kaldubas's place and you say, okay, I have to do something. And he did have to do something. And he did have to do something. Um, he did. I think he's made the move and he's delivered on it. Uh, yeah. I I don't think that, you know, all our problems are solved by any means, but no,
0: it's positive. This is, this is a, a fair move. I think, um, I can't speak to what it is from a Colorado perspective. I don't know their needs and their situation very well.
1: Um, but, but their need is to go and offer somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have so much money. Yeah. And I mean, look, Kadri um, you know, is they a... were able to retain. Yes, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I just saying they were able to retain 50% on Barry, but you yes. know, they added uh, Judas Donskoy and uh, now they've added Kadri and they're still sitting on 27 million with which they have to no they have to extend Rantanen who's going to get like 9 million and they have to get Burakovsky who might get 3 but even then like if they decide that they want to spend to the cap uh which they may not do they're not always like a cap team but they could be um they could really go and do something except you know there's no one to spend on in the UFA market mm-hmm. so and,
0: I mean I think Kadri is this is kind of the perfect role for him as
1: the second-line mm-hmm. guy
0: behind an Uber-tier center in Nathan McKimmon.
1: Yeah. I mean, they. Ha- <laughs> this is the thing is the ads had, like, a really good guy for that, in my opinion, a while back in Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. But, uh What has he done anyway. recently? Yeah, I know. He probably didn't turn into anything. Don't look that up. But, uh, yeah, Nazem Kadri is, you know, he's going to slot in there. And I think that they'll be pretty happy with him. Um You know, they've just... Uh, They've got Cale McCarr, uh, who's a right defenseman. They just drafted Bowen Byram, who some people saying it, are saying is going to step into the league pretty quickly or within a year or two. So, I, I, you know, maybe from their perspective, they think, OK, we have a strength at right defense. Let's reallocate the center. So it, it feels a lot like a hockey trade, you know, uh, there's an instinct to divide it into winners and losers. And certainly that's fun to do. And we'll do it when we think it's appropriate. But in this circumstance, it seems pretty clear that we just had corresponding needs and we made a flip. Yeah. So yeah, well, I think sorry, another by and large, I feel good about this deal. Me too.
0: Yeah. Another thing worth noting about Griffith, um mm-hmm. It's not like he's had, you know, amazing line mates either. Uh, Colorado has famously been kind of a one line team these last few years. Mm-hmm. Right. And Kerfoot it's been one of their better players, not on that line. Um, so you know, he, he there's like not much of a concern, or not there's not a, reason, a really obvious concern of oh, he's being driven by player X. Um, so <laughs> is he
1: being carried by JT Comfer? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or,
0: or like, I mean, I like Colin Wilson, but I don't think Colin Wilson is you know dragging Alex Kerfoot up and down the ice. So, yeah, I think, um I'm I'm actually more excited about Kerfoot than Barry in a way. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think this is a good reallocation. And as as you you mentioned this kind of offhand before, but we might go more to a top six bottom six structure. I think this tends to this lends itself to a team where the third line with something like Kerfoot, uh, Kapanen, and I don't know, pick a, pick a guy in the left wing, Mikheyev, Patan, whoever. But Kerfoot and Kapanen are both guys with defensive chops. And that, that's a line that you can mm-hmm. kind of be... It can kind of be a matchup line. Um, and I'm not worried about them. And I, they also have enough offensive skill, particularly with Kapanen's breakaway speed, to pose an issue, right? So I, I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good way of going about things. Um, when you allocate so much of your money... To your top four forwards, as the Leafs are about to do, it also makes sense to ride them, right, and to kind of rely on them in in perhaps a more meaningful way than the Leafs did last year. So, I I I like to see that. Uh, Kerfoot also, you know, if you get an injury to Tavares or to Matthews, you're not shitting yourself with Kerfoot playing higher up in the lineup for a couple weeks at a time. You know, there, there there's some
1: yeah. There's some insurance there, which is uh, good to see. Yeah, I, I do think that you know, like he's the big aspect that makes me feel good about this deal. I mean, the Leafs are probably going to ice what I think could be at least an average uh, NHL third line next year and maybe better than that. And it's going to cost about seven and a half, eight million dollars against the cap for all three players put together. I think that that's pretty favorable as far as I'm concerned. Um, so yeah by and large I feel good about that and so as much as I'm not sure Barry's the guy on the white horse I think that Barry is you know the guy on an upgrade and Kerfoot is enough that this feels pretty good we did downgrade from a third round pick to a sixth which is like you know I don't quite want to say who gives a shit but who gives a shit so (laughs) um, yeah I don't know that this is a silver bullet trade but I think that this is a good trade I guess would be my bottom line on it, personally.
0: So, yeah, and I mean, well, yeah. at this at this point now, we really don't have anything left in the chamber.
1: Yeah, we're, we're well, we don't have anything left in the chamber, except, as you noted before we went on, seven picks in the last two rounds of the next draft. <laughs> Which is just, like, I don't know what we're going to do with that. Uh, I assume we'll trade out. But, yeah, we have three picks in the sixth round next year and four in the seventh round. And... Those have minimal trade value, but I guess they're there. Seven down, um, 54 to go. <laughs> I'd love if, if like, uh, Kyle was just like rolling this over and he was just playing the long con to eventually just take out a round of the draft for his own amusement. <laughs> that would be pretty but, fun, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would do that. That's NHL 19 stuff that I would do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so by and large, I think that this is, this is good. Mm-hmm. I, I feel good. I think... I feel better about this team now than I did previously, and that also ties into some of the other trades that we're going to talk about. I guess we should move to the the other big trade that was made, which is Cody CeCe. <laughs> um, w-
0: sorry, one, one, last thing, one last thing before we, before yeah, we do. Of course. Actually, um, we, regarding Kerfoot, he's very different from Kadri in mm-hmm. one respect, in that Kadri is a gunner. Kadri shoots a lot. Kerfoot does not shoot much at all. Um, Kerfoot took only 13% of his team's shots at even strength last year. And when you think there's five players on the ice, you'd think, okay, on on an average is 20%. But then you remember two of them are defensemen who presumably are taking less shots Mm. than everyone else. So Kerfoot is really, really pass happy. Now, um, Kapanen, who is presumably on his wing, is also a bit of a gunner, who does not have the best shot selection, it must be said. But, no, <laughs> you know, you can convince yourself that that would potentially be a, a, a good match. They, they might find some chemistry together.
1: Yeah. And we'll find out when it happens, but certainly there's a possibility there. And they both certainly have shown that they can do, they can be quite good third liners and maybe with a glimpse of something more.
0: Yeah, so, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with yeah, comfortable captain of the second liner. Terrible. And, I mean, Kerfoot, I would say, yes. is on track to be like... His, his,
1: his, taking
0: his last season at face value, he is like a second liner, right? And mm-hmm. it's, it's a question whether he'll maintain that, right? You know, we don't know that for sure, but yeah, it seems like a reasonable bet. Um, as you said, we should talk about the of FCC trade, and then I guess we'll talk about the lease cap situation. Does that make sense? Is that a good plan?
1: Yeah, yeah, okay, and cool. uh, maybe some of those spare part pickups, but uh, yeah, so here was the uh, sort of complex. Nikita Zaitsev, to Ottawa transactions. So the Leafs traded Nikita Zaitsev and Connor Brown, along with Michael Cartrone, to the Sens in exchange for Cody Ceci, as well as Ben Harper, Aaron Luchuk, and a third. That was originally the Columbus Blue Jackets. A lot of moving parts there. So the biggest thing here was that the Leafs paid a signing bonus to Nikita Zaitsev today. It's actually worth noting, by the way, that that was a factor in the previous trade we were just talking about. Nazem Kadri also had a signing bonus, so the Leafs paid it and traded him. The Leafs have done this in the past and will continue to do it, which is they allocate money in signing bonuses, and that means that for teams that are in comfortable cap situations but that are a little leery of spending real money, the Leafs can trade them players with higher cap hits um, by paying out the salary bonuses and then trading them when there's only a lesser amount of real money left to go. So that's what they did with Zaitsev. So Nikita Zaitsev um, was, with Patrick Marleau gone, unequivocally the worst contract on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, he has five years left at $4.5 million, and he was providing uh, his replacement level, about fair to say, defense. Uh, but he was playing hard minutes but they were not going especially well in most circumstances. They were kind of okay-ish with Jake Muzzin at times. Hard minutes with not
0: great results.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So maybe replacement level is a bit imprecise there, but it wasn't going well. And so he also wanted, uh, for some personal reasons, to get out of town, by most accounts. Um, And we included Connor Brown, who everyone expected to be traded at some point. It was just a question of you know, where and to who, uh, because Connor Brown, while he's a perfectly serviceable bottom six forward, was making $2.1 million. And that's more than the Leafs could pay when they had three right wingers who were always going to go in front of them. So we unloaded those players on Ottawa. And in exchange, we took back uh, Cody Ceci. Now, this is a bit of a difficult time for me personally, and I'd like all of our listeners to extend their sympathy and their hearts to me. Uh, because Cody CC was like one of my favorite punchlines for jokes on this podcast and in my life. Because Cody CC is bad. Um, I don't really know what else to say here. He's quite big. He's like, you know, a big kid. And he shoots right. And there was always a conception... That he was a really useful defensive defenseman. And he was one of those players where anytime you looked at his numbers, you would find yourself saying, he's not actually doing very well at all. Um, if you look at, you know, isolated threat is one thing from Michael McCurdy. It has these blue and red splotches, and blue is good on defense. It's cold, means not many shots coming in. Red is hot on defense, it means lots of shots coming in, it means you're high event. Cody Cc's defensive results look like the gates of hell have opened up in front of his net. And that's scary and bad to me personally as someone who doesn't like that to happen to their team. He's not succeeding in the minutes he's been put in. And the fact that he's been playing against tough competition is only a partial mitigation given how ugly those results have been. So I was worried about Cody Cc. However, Cody Cc uh, is a restricted free agent. The Leafs are apparently in some sort of verbal agreement that has yet to be formalized um, by which they would give him $4.5 million on a one-year. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. He has a qualifying offer, which is the offer that you have to give an RFA or they just get to leave, um, for $4.3 million. So even if we don't offer him that, he can probably pick it um, and just take it. Or he can go to arbitration and maybe make as much as five. Um, there were some complicated moving parts here that you wrote about, but we probably don't need to dwell on them now, I guess, given that no, I, it I looks think like I, it's going to be one year at 4.5. Yeah, I
0: think we we take it for granted yeah. that that's going to be the case. Um, and this was weird to me before the berry trade, and it's kind of weirder to me now, where it's like mm. the case to keep CC. So I, I'll back up here for a second, or mention this one little factoid Basically, all the adjusted measures, like RIPM and isolated threat, view Zaitsev and CC as pretty similar net drivers of play. Zaitsev is a little worse offensively and a little better defensively, but, like, net, it's basically the same. Um, And one Mm -hmm. thing that's worth noting, as much as Zaitsev got crapped on, um, he basically hovered around 50% in terms of shot share and uh, expected goal share, right? Mm-hmm. Last year with Gardner, especially, he was above. He was like fifty-one, fifty-two. Now that's not great. You want your second pair ideally to be outscoring other teams. You don't want them to break even. That puts a pretty big burden on your on your third and first pairs, by definition. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Zaitsev wasn't hopping around at like a forty-five percent Corsi or something like that, right? It, it wasn't Carlisle no. era Leafs. It was a negative relative to the team, and it was, you know, clearly a, a bit of an anchor, but he's not so awful that the team was completely you know incompetent and dysfunctional with him on the ice now the thing is we, we talked about Zaitsev ha- taking hard minutes right and the reality is someone has to play them mm-hmm. so Dubas had mentioned a couple times in the press that uh you know oh you know we're going to try and trade Zaitsev but you know we also need someone coming back right we have we need someone to take his minutes and whether that was, you know, you could argue whether that was just kind of holding out for leverage or, um, you know, just a, a white lie or anything. I I kind of tend to take it at face value because it makes sense. And that's appears to be the reason that they kept CC because mm-hmm. you can convince yourself potentially I, that, okay, you know, yeah. CC has <laughs> played those minutes before and, you know, if we believe these numbers that say he's similar to Zaitsev, well, we're not going to be appreciably worse in these minutes compared to last year, potentially. Now, I found this insane when we had no one else on our roster besides CC, Right? It's a little mm-hmm. more understandable now. Because you can say, okay, Barry's going to play a lot of minutes. Right? And now CC mm-hmm. can drop back into... A less extreme role. He'll have a good partner in him, presumably in Jake Musin. Um, so it makes a little more sense to me why they decided to keep CC. Uh, but it, it essentially comes down to they think he can. They probably think he can play those minutes, or he's their best option to play their minutes, those minutes. Um, and I know people might justifiably kind of balk at that because Cody CC has not been successful in his NHL career in any way. But <laughs> when you start looking at the alternatives, it becomes somewhat understandable, right? Um, so a common thing is, as you said, I wrote this, and I know I've, you said, okay, like, we're not going to discuss this here, and I just spent five minutes <laughs> kind of giving a bunch of background, and I'm about to discuss exactly what you told me not to discuss. But the the long and short <laughs> of it is that the Leafs had the ability, if CC was to elect for arbitration, they could walk away from that arbitration result in all likelihood. And CC would become a UFA.
1: Yeah. So the dynamic of that is uh, if CC says, I want to go to arbitration, the arbitrator makes a ruling. They give him a contract amount that's above a certain number, which I believe was 4.7. 4.3, give or take. 4.3, was it? Really? Yeah. Okay. According to CapFriend. Okay. Well, if it was above a certain level, um, The Leafs could just say, nope, don't want it, and that's it. They surrender his rights. They have no obligations toward him. They have no claim on his services, but they probably don't really want that. Right. So, however, um, we've gone down a different road now where it appears like we are retaining him for a year. Now, it's worth noting this contract hasn't been formalized. We don't know if the Tyson-Berry acquisition... Uh, muddies the water a little bit. Yeah, we don't or know changes how good they the structure think. of what... Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't know how good they think Cody Ceci actually is. We think he's really bad. I yeah. I think it's fair to say. Yeah,
0: we... Uh, I, I, I think... I mean, I think pretty much what I think of Zaitsev. I think he's a depth defenseman.
1: Right? Yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. And I, I do think, you know, it's not impossible for me to conceive that if he goes to a better situation, if he gets a better partner, if he plays behind better lines... um He's probably going to do better. Yeah, like you know, with it's, it's not, you you're, you're
0: not going to see him operating probably at a forty percent goals for or something like that, or like a forty percent Corsi, like he was in Ottawa, where you know the team's really bad. Um,
1: yeah, and, and so there's so a certain yeah, amount it's, it's of like okay, to think if if you squint, you can talk yourself into it um, for sure. Yeah, there's no way and you can talk yourself the main into thing... it being worth this amount of money, but no. No, definitely yeah. not. Uh,
0: the, the thing you can talk yourself into is, what are the other options, right? There's, there's no good UFA defenseman. Mm-hmm. We have nothing to trade. We used our last trade bullet here, right? Um, mm-hmm. If we decided to walk away from CC, that would be resolved in August, right? When the arbitration hearing is. Who are you yeah. signing then, right? You, you need someone to play those minutes, and in a way, like if we ha- now that we have Barry, it, it actually seems more justifiable. It, I can see it from both ways. It's, you can more justifiably say, okay, well, now he's no longer in as important a role. We can have him, you know, and he won't kill us. But you can also say, well, you know, we can promote Travis Dermott there or, you know, any number of our other, you know, scrap heap guys, and they probably won't be as bad, and we're not putting as much of a stress on them as well. So you can argue it both ways. If it was me, I wouldn't have done this, right? I, I, w- I would have jettisoned mm-hmm. CeCe, but it's not me. Pierce he's going to be on the team. So uh, we just mm-hmm. have to deal with it. The trade is still unambiguously a positive. Yes. You you can think of it as, again, I'm kind of drawing this comparison hard, but if you think of CC as equivalent to Zaitsev, it's, okay, the Toronto Maple Leafs with the role of Nikita Zaitsev being played by Cody CC, right? Except now <laughs> he's gone after a year, right?
1: So we, yeah. we've gotten he's, out of his this. His contract is five years shorter. Yes, we, so. we've gotten out
0: of this obligation. The price of doing so was Connor Brown, which, I mean, Connor Brown's a decent NHL player, but I'm not... Crying to see him go right it was it was a reality he had to go um he weren't going to be able to afford him so yeah it's not what i would have done but also not worth a ton of wailing and gnashing of teeth i don't think that'll stop please twitter um
1: cc is <laughs> going is to ever, no
0: cc is going to be railed upon this year he's going to be the whipping boy 100 percent
1: Yes. And you know what? I'll go a step further. CeCe is going to be played I suspect more minutes than one I think he should be. But yes. two than, you know, most of believes Twitter is going to think oh, he and, should and, be. Oh, and like to be clear. And he's going to have some memorable yeah. To be clear. We both think he is not good. Yeah. He's a bad player. <laughs> we're not we're not we're not uh, really fans of you. Cody
0: CC, right? It's just like I think we get why they may have kept him, even if we disagree, right? It goes. This goes back to the thing you always say, where it's like you know, when a GM does something you disagree with, try and think of a, a reason why they would do it besides they're an idiot. Mm-hmm. There's reasons why, and, they and would I do don't this. think that they are.
1: Yeah. So you know, you can break it out to uh, that deal to okay, there's uh, some spare parts there with you know, Cartrone the fringiest of fringe shots at the NHL. Ben Harper is awful. I hope we don't have to see him in the NHL. Uh, Aaron Luchak, I, I have no information or opinion. But uh, if you split it out after that for uh, to said for CC and Connor Brown for a third, um, we're in an unambiguously better cap situation um, than we were by a huge margin. And so the result is that now, after all of Kyle's work. Um, as of next season, we have no contracts that I do not consider to be good. We have a few that are like maybe slight overpays for fantastic players. And that's it. Now, granted, we also don't have any defensemen besides Morgan and Riley. Um, and so there's going to have to be more work done at that stage of proceedings. But the... Two unequivocally bad contracts of the Lou Lamorello era were Zycev and Marlowe. Price paid, they're gone. Um, Connor Brown was the other guy who was costing more than we could afford. He's gone. Um, I do think that Cal Dubas has bought himself the flexibility he needed to make other upgrades. And, you know, it is worth noting the Tyson-Berry trade as constructed does not work. If the Colorado av- Avalanche don't retain fifty percent, um, which shows how squeezed we were even now, even after all of this, um, you know, toing and froing. So, I think that there's no real argument that it didn't make a lot of sense from a purely cap perspective. It's the Cody CC thing where uh, he's a bad player. He's a player that you know, some of us, i.e., me, may have made fun he's of. He's also all a meme, right? That's part, that's part of it. He's a meme. There's yeah, there's a prospect vid- like clip that goes around sometimes that is Cody give giveaway to player with no stick. And uh, the title kind of says it all really. But um, it's a very literal title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, guess what happens in the video, but um yeah, you know he's he's not good. Um, and so the only thing is is that if you kind of fudge it as a combination of one we're not going to use him like the senators are senators were doing, two Uh, He might be kind of survivable. Three, uh, I really hope with all my heart and still believe that, like, the Leafs aren't in the business of really overvaluing horrible defensemen under Kyle Dubas. Like, I just find it hard to believe that Kyle Kyle Dubas was, like, scheming this to get Cody Cc. I think that this was, like, a necessary thing that he had to do to finish the transaction. And if... You know, if the Leafs negotiate some crazy-ass extension with him tomorrow, then I'll have to revisit that opinion. But I think this was a cost of doing business acquisition. And the business that's done is we cleared a lot of cap space and we got out from our worst long-term deal. So not exactly the kind of stuff that you get wild and excited about the way that I think some people are already doing with Tyson Berry. But successful piece of business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: would agree. Um, It's one of those things where, before the berry trade, I I was kind of to the point where it's like, I'm not sure what else Dubas can really do here, because, like, it's worth saying, like, we talked about what it would take to upgrade the Leafs D before, and, you know, the difficulties in trading for anyone, and it it seems almost impossible, like, if you asked me a day ago, do you think we could trade Kadri for a, a plausible, or someone who Someone who is commonly thought of as a good top-four defenseman, as well as someone who is maybe 80% of Nazem Kadri, and have that all be cap compliant. Do you think we could do that? I would say no, not really. That's 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 a lot, right? Dubus did that. That's a it's a good trade yeah. in that respect, right? So before that, <coughs> I thought the Zaitsev and Marlow deals were essentially leading to a season where the Leafs would kind of, not not quite punt on the season, but kind of say, okay, you know what? The cap kind of got us here, right? We're going to maintain flexibility. Mm-hmm. We're not going to make mistakes. We're going to roll forward with what is still a good team, but probably not the best team of this window. Give ourselves a chance and then, you know, make no mistakes going forward where we have a free cap sheet. Mm-hmm. The fact that Dubis has pulled off a a trade that, you know, kind of regardless of what you think of it, it does fundamentally reshift our roster and it, it does reallocate you know, assets from forward to to defense and in a way that I think is probably a net positive overall. That's, that's a credit to him. And that that shows that, you know, we're, we're, we're in a a better spot now than we were three hours ago and a better spot now than we thought we would be in, to be honest. Um, I think I'm kind of talking myself into this trade. I wasn't that high on it when we started (laughs) and I'm still not like, I still, I'm still very kind of leery of Barry. Um, it's worth that he hes not like a guy who's faced, you know, really tough competition or anything like that. He's faced like average competition, so this is going to be a step up for him too, right? So, you know, I mentioned before yeah, that for,
1: for for Barry, yeah, yeah,
0: I mentioned before that, you know, okay, well now CC will take maybe a step back. Uh, we're not—he's well, certainly in terms of name recognition, he's no longer a top right defenseman. But <laughs> until we see how these guys are used and what the results are, like there's still so much variance. We haven't—we don't know how Riley and Barry are going to work. That's such a weird. Pairing. It's, it's two go, 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 go guys who are awful defensively. Just really bad defensively. And then the pairing behind them, CC Muzzin, is. I mean, that, that's basically.
1: I don't know. <laughs> basically, CC Zaitsev,
0: right? Part two. Um,
1: um, or sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, Muzz, you know, Muzzin Zaitsev, yeah. Muzzin Zaitsev. Yeah. You know what I think maybe gives me hesitation about this deal? I don't know if it's also in your mind. Is that. The starting point for a lot of trades is team that gets the best player wins the deal. I think that there was a decent argument that that was the avalanche here. Oh, no, I... I and I think certainly... Nassim Kadri is definitely the best player in this deal. Yeah, and once you account for contract status, which is he has three years left at four and a half, um, the Avs won. It's because you have Barry plus the added value of Kerfoot, and because uh, a sixth over a third is not a huge deal... Um, I think it's Kerfoot that really makes me okay to positive to even feeling pretty good about this. Yes, it's like when you when you step back and look at the uh the whole picture that Carlos put together, I think that he did well with some pretty constrained options and that uh that ultimately is my takeaway from this off season, which I assume is about like. <laughs> I don't think he has too many more things that he can do, or are up and sleeves. He has to resolve contracts for Marner, Kerfoot, and CC, um, and then that'll probably be the the end of business. Yeah. But, okay. So we should we should talk
0: good. actually about the cap situation since we they have to resolve those those three contracts. I think we're going to kind of assume mm-hmm. that CC is just in at four point five. Yep. If not, if CC is not on the roster, you do whatever you can to get someone who can play second pair right side in minutes. And, you know, your options are very, very limited. So good luck, basically, is what it comes down to. <laughs> That's it. Just because your options are limited doesn't mean they're going to be worse than Cody Cece. Right? So, but we're going to set that yeah. aside. Um, Kerfoot yeah. is, yeah, interesting. Um, so let's say we sign him to a $3 million contract, right? And we did this math before mm-hmm. we came, before we started recording. If we sign him to $3 million, and then the Leafs effectively, once they put Nathan Horton on long-term IR, have Mitch Marner, have $10 million for Mitch Marner. And then that will effectively complete their roster. And you can play around with the numbers depending on who you put up and who you send down and how many people you want to carry in the active roster. But it comes down to about that amount, $10 million for Marner.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've been assuming that the Leafs are going to carry um, 22 players instead of 23 uh, this year. They have their minor league affiliate, uh, you know, right on the other side of town. So I think they're fairly safe having only one forward and one defense injury replacement that probably allows them to free up another 700 grand, which given how close they are, um, to the edge here may make a meaningful difference. So I would look out for that. There were some depth acquisitions that actually maybe makes sense to talk about in this contract really quickly. Um, we, we, we picked up um, Kenny Agostino, who I don't 100% know if he's going to be an NHL winger, but he, he may be in that kind of training camp mix, and he might be one of the guys who shines, or he might not. Uh, you know, Tyler Ennis shined last year. Uh, uh, Josh Juris did not. Uh, we also have Nick Shore, which is very exciting to me, personally, because I wanted him as a 4C last year, and we didn't get him, and he went to the KHL because he had... Um, he had terrific fancy stats. You know, he's a decent face-off man. He, uh, he's a right-hand shot. His point production in limited minutes is actually pretty good. Lovely microstats. He's kind of my dream cheap, cheap 4C, so I'm very glad that we had him. And we also picked up uh, old man Jason Spezza. Jason Spezza was, and I can say this now that he's no longer an Ottawa senator, uh, he was once a really, really, really good uh, top-line center. Those days are long gone. Um, he was a great playmaker. He's still got a lot of vision. Um, the speed is not really there at this point. But um, the speed was never there. Y- you know, it's especially not there yeah, now. Yeah, the speed was never a strong suit, and now it's just kind of gone. But he cost seven hundred grand, and so if he's got a bit of uh, you know old man strength left in him, if he can still make some use of that playmaking vision, if he can still take some time on the power play, he still looks like. A pretty respectable offensive minded bottom sixer to me. Like, I, you know, I think if push comes to shove, one, it's not crazy to me to envision Mike Babcock playing Jason Spetsa in the third line center role in some injury cataclysm scenario. I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but uh, I think he might be able to do it. But he's definitely the kind of cheapy pickup that you like. He's also given a ton of quotes that are extremely endearing to me personally about how he loves the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he's just playing here for love of the game, and he grew up watching Toronto, and it's great. And uh, I'm just hoping he says his favorite you...
0: Swedish player is Matt Sundin.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just want him to be like, you know what, playing with Daniel Alfredson, I just knew that he was not quite as good as Matt Sundin <laughs> in my heart. So... Yeah, uh, but those are the kind of pickups that you make to fill out your roster, and I have to say that I am unequivocally pleased with both of those. So the cap situation basically boils down to, as we were saying, um, you hope to get Kerfoot around three. I wouldn't mind getting some term there. That may not be in the offing, and he is arbitration eligible. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, you can see a path to wrapping this up. It's just, you probably can't sign Mitch Marner to, like, $11 million, which you should not be doing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. If,
0: if, if, oh, no. If this, let's, if this lets us say, hey, Mitch, look, we love you, but we made all these upgrades to the roster, we got rid of all the bad contracts, and now we only have $10 million. Right? And, oh. like $10 million, to be clear. I'm not, I don't want to pay Mitch Marner $10 It unless I'm getting eight years. It's an overpay. Yeah, it's an overpay. <laughs> right? Um. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, <laughs> TBD, what's going to happen on that front? Um, I I basically agree with you on all those short-term signings. They're they're the good, smart signings that you have to make to fill out the rest of your roster. They give us some flexibility. I like Spezza as a right-handed face-off guy, something that Babcock mm-hmm. tends to like. Spezza is very, very good at face-offs. Um, so you can see him getting some defensive zone use there. Uh, it will help our power play. We have kind of... Moving on from Kadri kind of changes up our power play in some some interesting ways. Uh, you, you might even mm. see Nedander get on the top unit power play, um, but there, there's a lot to be determined there, and I think that's going to be kind of a big experiment during preseason.
1: Um, yeah, and you know our new assistant coach, yes. Paul McFarland, has uh, a chance at that. Yes. We didn't even mention the Leafs hired a new assistant coach two days ago. It yeah. feels like that was like a 100 years in the past. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I,
0: I think part of it is also like
1: we don't really know how... Like when, when, some, when you
0: hire yeah. someone as a head coach and they have previous head coaching experience, you can kind of ascertain stuff, but assistant coaching seems quite different. And
1: Yeah, even though Dave Hackstall was a head coach at one point and it was dubiously successful, but his goalies were also, like, pretend. So, you know, we'll see about that. But yeah, I, you can see the shape of this roster, and I don't, you know, it's not a perfect roster, but I feel good-ish about it. Mm -hmm. you know like i i think i think you can say that this is probably a better roster than last year uh it's close and i think if you had both healthy jake gardner and healthy jake muzzin starting the year i might say it was worse but seeing as as it is i think that this is probably an upgrade over how we finished last season narrowly so
0: hmm yeah that's interesting i I think that's trying to think
1: yeah, it's close, uh, but, you know, to get that and then to have the contracts resolved for all of the big three will be, hopefully, um, a pretty decent trick. Yeah. Because we all knew the squeeze was coming, and it's come, and it's painful, mm-hmm. but, yeah. I think there's a big... A lot of good work going
0: there's on. A big conf- there's a big, you know, the confidence interval is very wide in terms of my assessment of this year's team, because I, I don't know exactly what Barry is, and I don't know exactly what Kerfoot is going to be like. I'm I'm positive on Kerfoot. I, I I feel good about him. His track record is good. I like, you know, has to be said. Like his last year was was genuinely very strong, right? It's mm-hmm. Good to see, but it is just one year, right? Um, and the yeah. the offense is is good. He, like, I mean, we can say, oh, he has a high shooting percentage. That's probably going to regress. That's true. It's probably going to regress. But there's also probably some talent there. That's also a you know very useful skill to have. So there's, you know, a lot of this trade kind of depends on, on Kerfoot and making sure he is not really a, a huge downgrade on Kadri, if at all. And if, if his play mm-hmm. driving is legit, then I'm confident that he is, like, you know, probably 80% of Kadri, 80 85% of Kadri. And, like, the difference would perhaps be Kadri was genuinely excellent on the power play um, and his penalty drawing. Uh, I don't think Kerfoot has either of those two in his favor, but at five on five, if Kerfoot continues with what he... If Kerfoot kind of puts together the exact same year as last year, um, mm-hmm. I think we come out pretty good on that swap. Um, so moving on from this year, you, you mentioned before that basically the Leafs have very little on the roster, especially on defense, past this season. Yeah. Does this trade for you depend in any way, does your view on it depend in any way... On whether Tyson Berry extends here
1: the thing about it is that so much can happen between now and them that I don't know what I'm gonna want um next year you know I'm not anticipating an immediate extension from Kyle Dubas like maybe if he's really confident in the deal he says yeah I'm gonna shell out immediately to lock up my guy um I haven't heard that and so I won't assume it and so now we're in a bit of a wait and see will I want to extend him would I want to extend Jake Muzzin Uh, what is Travis Dermott going to cost? Because he's up for RFA status. Mm -hmm. Um, how much do we expect out of Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Liljegren? As a little aside from that, that whole thing, the fact that Calais Rosen went to Colorado, he was the next man up on left defense. The Leafs can certainly, like, they still have a lot of warm bodies who can play third pair left defense if they're so inclined. Um... But it it is kind of interesting to wonder at the start of the year, if Travis Dermott is still out, does Rasmus Sandin get any kind of look there? Uh, I I still lean no. I still think he's like a late cut in training camp, but if they wanted to, they could certainly give him a look. And so there are so many moving parts there that I think it may just be that Kyle is preserving flexibility for his defense as much as anything. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess to circle around back to the question, uh no, I think that this deal is a win, um, even if Tyson Berry leaves, and I think you you know what I want to do going forward is a separate question that I couldn't answer right now. So
0: yeah, no, I th- I think I think that's fair. I mean, I'm still, I'm still kind of working out how I feel about it. Right, like I, mm-hmm. I I'm, I, I I like this trade. I think it it makes or I don't know. I like it's too strong. This trade makes sense. This trade makes definitely it makes sense, and I think it can go well.
1: Someone is going to make fun of us on Twitter for you backing away from saying, I like this train. Yeah. I, just, no, I know that. Right I'm sure. Yeah.
0: It does make sense. It does make sense. And there's a way it can go well. There's, there's a lot mm. of, you know, we're talking, um, what's that movie, The Avengers, where it's like, you know, there's 14, 605 scenarios. And like, <laughs> I don't know, in 8,000,000 of them, I see it going well. Like I, there, there's very plausible paths to this being good. Carfoot is as I said, 85% of Kadri. Kerfoot's legit, he's four years younger than Kadri, maybe five. Uh, and essentially you have your yeah. 3C of the future potentially on, on your team. And you know, We don't have that much, that much more in terms of team control over Kerfoot. I think he becomes a UFA in two more years? When he turns 27, essentially. So three more years. Hmm. Um, but you know, that's kind of extends, that, that, that's kind of churning through your depth as well, and, and, and an important piece. So that's good. Maybe Barry is everything that everyone hypes him up to be and you know we put him on a really you know strong team with good players in front of him. I not that Colorado was a particularly weak team, but you know maybe he comes here and blossoms to an even greater degree and everything that we hope to see in him that we see in him when we watch him goes through. There, there's ways this can work really, really, really well. Um, the downside is Kerfoot doesn't replace Kadri like he, he takes a step back. He was last year was maybe, a flukily good year and he's not quite as good as that. Barry is repeats his 2017-18 has a terrible defensive record and doesn't seem to add that much offensively and then the Leafs are, are worse than last year. Barry walks and then we've we've traded Kadri for something that's not amazing. But mm-hmm. like all in all I think, I think it makes sense. I think this is this is a a, a trade that I think Dubas can be happy with. Um, I'm, I know I'm rambling here but one thing we discussed on a podcast a while back is that the tough thing about sports and sports management is that it forces you into making decisions before you can be 100% certain of the outcomes and before you can be 100% certain of the players. And I think part of being intellectually honest about assessing players and assessing trades is embracing the fact that we don't know everything. And yeah, like I don't know what Barry is going to be here. right? I, he, he's a very odd guy. Not not as a person, as a hockey player. Like he, It's a very confusing player. I don't know exactly what Kerford's going to be. I, I like the track record, but who knows? So I'm cautiously optimistic about this, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And it, it gives us a ton of flexibility going forward. We can basically remake the defense in any way we want. But the problem is there's no good free agents. So I feel like you kind of have to extend Barry to some degree. Or
1: Muzzin. That's the thing. Yeah, that I find or Muzzin. The thing. Now Muzzin is significantly older. Um, and so you may decide how you feel about that. And you know, Muzzin shoots left. But I do think Kyle more than anything has left himself with a lot of options. In some ways that reminds me a bit of Lou Lamorello, who for all of his flaws uh, often seemed to have optionality in the back of his mind in a lot of decisions that he made. In this circumstance, it's like, every contract you, you know i said this before but every contract that i'm looking at now that goes into next season i feel pretty good about i think matthews is a modest overpay well i'll live with it i think martyr is going to be a hopefully only modest overpay. <laughs> but beyond that it's like even then <laughs> you, you know oh man i just resigned to it Well, it's no no i i, I agree be. with but, i agree with
0: you that's why i'm laughing
1: yeah but to be clear if you have to overpay somebody it might as well be stars. Yeah. It might as well be these guys. And um, look how quickly I moved to the marketing stage. But, uh, y- you know, once you get past that, it's a pretty solid cap sheet. You know, you have good deals for guys like captain and Janssen. You have, again, the Nylander contract. I still believe. And so I think that this is uh, a deal that comes from sitting in a flawed position, which Kyle Dubas was. But I think that he has done... I'm going to say quite well from a position of not a lot of strength, a position where he was constrained and he's used the Leafs assets to the full in terms of the willingness to pay signing bonuses um, and the ability to uh, get a little creative in terms of what you ask, ask for back. And uh, you know, just the general dynamics of this deal. So I think that, uh, you know, obviously something like John Tavares, That's an unambiguous win as soon as you hear about it. But the string of transactions that we've seen in the past week from Kyle Dubas, um, not including the draft, I I like the draft for what little I know about it, Um, but the string of transactions that we saw, they've all made more and more sense to me the more that I've thought about them, and that could just be a process of me talking myself into, I like the team, I want to like what they do. But I don't think so, because frankly, throughout a lot of the Leaf's history, I have been quite willing to hate what they did, so I think it's it's good. I think that this is a good remake of the team. Um you know, maybe I just like that he signed Nick Shore. Secretly that's all this has all been about for me. <laughs> Everything else is secondary.
0: Yeah. Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really interesting. Um in terms of yeah, their position from here on out, it's basically don't make mistakes from here on out. We don't have any really major mistakes on the roster. We've gotten got rid of all of them. So mm-hmm. from here on out, don't make mistakes. That's that's Dubas's job.
1: Yeah, and you know, you you don't have to pay a first to get out of a deal anymore. Um, and, and you know, that paid me at the time, but okay. It, it's good. It's done. Um, yeah, we're in a position going forward where now it's... Let's build this team with flexibility to try and continually contend you know i think this team as you say there are scenarios where this team is a real gold-plated contender next year uh my guess is they'll be maybe a slightly better version of what they were last year which is not bad which is probably like a top five team so yeah uh i i would say that i'm excited for it and maybe even a little bit just all of this movement has Kind of jostled me out of the sense of like, we're gonna be the same but worse last year. Uh I don't know for sure that we're gonna be better, but we won't be the same. So, there's that to look forward to.
0: Yeah. Okay. Was there anything else we wanted to discuss? Uh, did we discuss Colin Miller on a recent podcast and the trade, or was did we record? Have we recorded since he was traded oh, to Buffalo? Oh, you
1: know what? We we have not. Okay. Uh, so maybe that's worth. Noting And actually, you know what? It's probably good that we didn't react immediately because th- it now appears in a string of other moves that we made. And so there's a bit more context around it, whatever you think of it. So Colin Miller was traded from the Vegas Golden Knights to the Buffalo Sabres for a second and fifth round pick. Um, at the time, I think it's fair to say we kind of wished that we'd acquired Colin Miller. You you know, even at the time I said, okay, what else is going on? And I didn't know what Zaitsev was going to cost, what have you. But... The Golden Knights... You know what? I think it makes more sense now. But the Golden Knights were capped out to the stars. Like, they were quite literally over the salary cap. They weren't just, like, staring at it. They were past it. And so Colin Miller was a quite good 2nd pair defenseman, making 3.875. And so... Given that he, you know, previously was with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, he shot right. He's a bit of an analytics darling who had fallen out of favor. It it seemed like kind of a natural fit for Kyle Dubas, analytics guy, GM, to trade for him. And we wound up not being the team that acquired him. As I said, he went to Buffalo. So I, I you know, I think in the context of you know we did a deal with um, Colorado, where we, um, you know, we got back Tyson Berry for one thing. Um, at half retained. And we also had the cadre for for Kerfoot thing going on. You know, I wonder if we were, if we were willing to just do second and a fifth, uh, for Colin Miller. The numbers of it are are a bit tight to me. Yeah, we, we couldn't, we couldn't do
0: both at this, like, at this point. We we went through the cap situation. No, I mean,
1: it would have precluded the other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's interesting. Um, there's a statsy argument that Miller is, is better than Barry right? Um, Miller has essentially destroyed relatively easy competition and usage over the past couple years, um, although at times he was scratched mm-hmm. in Vegas this past season. Barry has, you know, I mentioned that he hasn't faced tough competition, but he's faced average competition, which is harder than um, what Miller has done. And the on-in-one mm-hmm. stats tend to view Miller as a superior play driver than Barry. Now, again, we want to accept the variance that arises with these. These are estimates from a regression model, effectively. They have, they have variance. Um, team effects are a factor. And I'm not going to pretend mm-hmm. as if these perfectly account for usage, right? I, th- I think one of the most common hockey Twitter tropes is kind of lionizing the guy playing weak competition and destroying them. Yeah. And Miller is kind of that guy to the nth degree. Right? And like to be clear, he really does destroy weak competition. Sim- similarly, so does Travis Dermott. Um, does that mean he would excel when placed in a tougher role? I don't know. And I think anyone who tells you that they do know is falsely confident. Um, I, I don't see how you can say that with any certainty. You can say that I'm willing to try it, and that was basically my position on Colin Miller, was that for the cost, mm-hmm. I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to... Put a second and a fifth on the line and put him in that role and see. Okay, you did great at lower levels. Can you do a decent job here? Um, and there's an argument yeah. to say, well, I think, I... Yes. there's an argument to say, well, we could have done that here. We would have essentially not have to downgrade from Kadri to uh, Kerfoot, right? And to recall, Kerfoot is younger than Kadri, but Kadri, as as you noted, has three years left at four point five. If we signed Kerfoot to a, a three year deal. It probably wouldn't be much cheaper if at all so you know why not pay for miller play him as your guy and then keep cadre you don't do the downgrade but you still upgrade all you've given up is futures um and you know i think that is a fair criticism i can see that i can see the argument for it i don't think it is a slam dunk better or worse than what we have done instead
1: Yes, I'm. Mm, I lean towards that. This that what we ended up doing was preferable, but for what reason? It's close. Uh, I think it, it's mostly Kerfoot. Is that like I? I've, just having a look at him, I'm convinced that with the knock-on effects up and down the forward lineup, and I'm basically counting on okay, we're going to lean pretty hard on Matthews and Tavares now, but I really think that we're going to get less of a downgrade. Um, then it maybe seems like we would. And I think that Barry is a better defenseman just because I've developed a real caution of the guy who destroys easy competition, as you were talking about. Just, I've fallen for a lot of those guys in the past. And, you know, I think you're absolutely correct that the attitude has to be tentative. It has to be, okay, we'll see what he can do. Whereas I'm pretty confident Tyson Barry can play top four minutes. Like I'm not saying that he's going to pulverize them. And I know that the numbers haven't been perfect, but I, I just feel more confident saying, okay, I'm going to pencil this guy in on top pair. Whereas with Colin Miller, it feels a bit like I'm doing the same thing with Travis Dermott.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. And I kind of share the same feeling where my optimism about this trade is primarily based on the fact that I think Kerfoot can actually be the next Nasim Kadri. And that we basically, it's like, in, you know, in, uh, I don't this is very nerdy, And Football Manager, which is a football simulation game, soccer, um, that contains like a huge amount of players. It's like a simulation game. When a great player retires, so let's say Messi retires, there's what's called a regen, which is like a 16-year-old fake player is created with the same kind of attributes as Messi, with the same potential as Messi in Argentina, right? In the game, not in real life, <laughs> to be clear. <laughs>
1: and i feel like Argentina would be very happy i'm sure
0: oh i'm sure um but i feel like i feel like kerfoot could be the kadri region right and that that's important that like you could have kerfoot could reasonably be a leaf for the next 5 6 years and we've kind of cycled that in his prime and it's a different package than kadri but if his defensive play can, is is legit and he continues to provide middle six scoring as he has done throughout his career if he has kind of that Bozak quality of taking very few shots but having a very high shooting percentage. That Mm -hmm. that can work and that's actually a very, very small downgrade. Right? And, you know, maybe that can turn out pretty well. So a lot of my optimism is tied up in Kerfoot and weirdly, I'm more, I'm a little more confident in Kerfoot than I am in Barry or, or rather, I'm more confident that Kerfoot is a reasonable facsimile of Kadri than I am confident that Barry is a true top pair defenseman or a true, like above average defense. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm measuring uh, Kerfoot on a scale of, can he be a decent three C? Uh, he just has to exactly. Whereas I'm measuring Barry on a scale of, well, what were we going to do that w- was better? And f- for the record, the Leafs were apparently pursuing a lot of options. Um, there were rumors that some of these, uh, were on Nazem Kadri's no-trade list, and he wouldn't accept a trade there. Uh, TJ Brody in Calgary. That would have the name? Sucked. I don't know if that's the case or not. Yeah, I'm a lot happier with how this worked out. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, the thing about TJ... Uh, sorry, the thing about Tyson Berry is that I really did not see where the massive defense upgrade was going to come from especially after Colin Miller was gone. And for all my, you know, I've had my reservations about him. I did not see where the upgrade was going to happen because I was thinking a lot in one-for-one trades in terms of, well, I'm not getting enough value back for Kadri. And I think that that's normally a good starting point in terms of if you're giving up the best player, you should be hesitant. But Kyle managed to devise a trade with multiple parts where I do feel that it is likely that we're gonna net out to being better from him having done it. And so, yeah, you know, I think that Alex Kerfoot is really what gets me excited. Even if I have some reservations about Barry, I think he's good enough that he was worth pursuing and Kerfoot puts it over the top for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it it, it comes down to that you can convince yourself that you're just getting essentially, hopefully cheaper at 3C and then Barry is, at this point, basically a rental. And it's a rental that, as we said, We've been down on Barry, I think, in this podcast relative to most people. Um, He is so much better than Mm -hmm. Cody CC. He is so much better than Nikita Zaitsev. He is so much better than Ron Hainsey. And I know he's different than those players in that, like, he he is truly awful defensively. But, and and particularly from from what Katya has told me, particularly bad in his own zone, right? Like, Ron Hainsey is bad defensively because he can't move the puck. But in his own zone, like, in a vacuum, like, if it was like, you know, the opposition gets one possession, and then as soon as the puck touches... Haynesy stick or a leaf stick, it ends. I'm comfortable with Haynesy there. Right? It's just as soon as he has to move mm-hmm. the puck out, it's a disaster. So Barry is, yeah, is a very that's, different player. That's a good we'll it was like succeed... Yeah. we will not necessarily succeed in the same way. Um, and I don't think you can necessarily use him as the way we used Ron Hainzey, but he gives us more options there and yeah, I, I, I like
1: I like that. Yeah. So Ultimately, yeah, you know, it's not painless. No. We gave up uh, a first-round pick to unload Marlowe, We took on CeCe to unload Saitsev, And we paid Nazan Kadri, who's a player that, you know, I think we've been clear that warts and all, and as much as, you know, those suspensions drove us crazy, we love that guy. He was a great player. Yeah. He was a great Toronto Maple Leaf. And, and he was, at the time of the trade, the longest tenured one. Yeah, it's sad
0: because so. Gardner and Kadri were the two links to... The kind of previous era, right? um I guess Riley mm-hmm. was around for uh, a, a little bit of it. He was around for the end of the Carlisle era and the start of the Horachek era. But Gardner and and Kaji were the only guys who were in that twenty thirteen series against Boston, and we, you know, we kind of grew up with them in, in in a lot of ways. And we saw, you know, they they were always good players, and they were always kind of demonized in the media for what they weren't. Mm-hmm. They weren't a number one defenseman. They weren't a number one center. But they're Excellent, excellent players, and it's it's sad to see them go. And I'm I'm gonna be rooting for Kadri wherever he goes the rest of his career.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, I wish them the best. And it's easier to do now, frankly, because he's in the West, and so we don't have to uh, we don't have to see him. Whereas you know the Ottawa Senators have adopted like four of our players, and you know it's nothing personal, guys, but I need you to fail. So, <laughs> but, but it's also like with I mean I don't know I'm not I'm not terrified of Tyler Ennis hurting us.
0: And it's like, I, I, I like Ennis as well. No, that's like true. If, if Ennis scores against us in that's a— That's the thing. If
1: like he can get, like, 20 goals this season, then, like, who cares? Yeah.
0: And if so. Ennis—we're not competing with the Senators right now. Hopefully. <laughs> but, like, yeah, if Ennis scores against us in a regular season game, it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, sucks that you got scored on, but it doesn't really hurt because it's Tyler Ennis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, by and large, yeah, uh, I feel positive now. And something that I have just realized is that Alex Kerfoot is eligible for our top 25 under 25. Oh, is he? <laughs> so look for that as we, yeah, his birthday is like five weeks later than the cutoff. So, uh, yeah, um, we're going to have a lot to think about over the summertime. Uh, and certainly, uh, you know, we'll see the, the team take shape around these moves and hopefully as the, those RFA contracts get resolved to our somewhat satisfaction, but it's been quite a weekend. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: No kidding. Okay, so I think that wraps it up for us. Um, you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionpuppets.com. We've been releasing a ton of content to keep up with Kyle Dubas. He's making us work. Uh, he's making us, you know, hustle. But we're doing it uh, for him. <laughs> and yeah, you can catch... It's the, <laughs> for him personally. Yeah, for him personally. Uh, I, I think that's what inspired him to make the trade. He's like, you know what? These guys, they need to be rewarded. <laughs> um, you can also catch me and Fuleman on Twitter at RV and ATFuleman. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you soon.